Now let's give Peter a warm welcome. My name is Peter, I'm a recovered alcoholic. And uh, grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place, Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, thank Henny Youngman for a great opening act tonight. Appreciate it. <clears throat> Give a guy a microphone and a crowd, it's all over. <clears throat> uh, congratulations to all the celebrants. And uh, to show an Alcoholics Anonymous uh, works, um, keep the doors open, follow directions, and somehow we stay sober. Uh, kind of like that movie, Against All Odds. A lot of us are not supposed to be here tonight. Uh, yet, we surrender in Alcoholics Anonymous, as I did. And uh, we're given this simple set of instructions out of a big book, uh, which gets, uh, takes some hits in some AA meetings. But those who follow seem to be in the middle of experiencing permanent sobriety. So uh, for someone who's new, uh, these coins were, you said it best, to show AA works. Uh, for no other reason, it isn't about giving a speech and applause. I mean, it's nice to get and it's nice to give, but it's really to show a new person that AA works. Um, I made my second birthday. I was in Brooklyn at a group called the Free Spirit Group, and um, it was, you know, just another night of celebrating, and uh, lots of folks were there. But I didn't know uh, who was in the back of the room, and this gentleman told me the story a few years later. It was his first AA meeting he had walked into that night. He didn't know what was going on. It was a cake, there were candles and all the stuff that we do at AA meetings and a coin. He had no clue what was going on. He just got out of detox, never been to AA, walked into that meeting, looked at a meeting close to his house, had a meeting book and walked in. <clears throat> and I'm celebrating. And what he told me a few years later was he was around my age. And he says, if a guy my age can do it and climb out of the hole he was in, maybe I can. And that was the flicker, the light went on. And he kept coming to that group. I didn't even know that was his first meeting. And he shared this with me years later. So we never know. You know, closed discussion, what meeting am I sharing? When we sit down in a meeting, we always say hello to our friends. But what about the person we don't know? They may look like they're sober 20 or 30 years, but how do I know what they're going through? And my job is to always extend myself in a form of service. Because <clears throat> I don't know who's standing in the back of the room may have just wandered in here and going to check us out or perhaps has been in and out of AA and is believing AA doesn't work and comes into another AA meeting and is given a cold shoulder and very clickish and walks out again. Now, I'm not responsible for that guy getting drunk, but I certainly am responsible for extending my hand out to another drunk and setting an example for the drunk uh, male or female who walks in here. So um, <clears throat> I remember... It was New Year's Eve... Uh, let's see, I'm so which one... Maybe 28... 29 years ago, and um, I, was, I was in a grip of the grapes, and it was New Year's Eve, and I'm wandering the streets, and I realized I had to get downtown to the Lower East Side, get on a B train in Brooklyn, and hop the train, because I didn't have, never paid for a train, because uh, I never had money, and if I had money, it wasn't going to go for a token, it was just easy to hop the fence, and so as I'm making my way to the train station, um, New Year's Eve hits. And back in Brooklyn, people beep their horns, they come out, bang pots and pans, and it's lunacy for about 10 minutes. But it was kind of neat because people were coming out of the house, and you could look in the house, and there were families gathered like a lot of families do at holiday time. And I had this moment of clarity. What am I doing? It's freezing out. I'm not dressed properly. 
Um, I got holes in construction boots, and I got these clothes on that really should be thrown in, in the dumpster. And I'm trying to sneak on a train to get to the Lower East Side of Manhattan to hustle up money and maybe get even for the night because I was really sick. My hands were shaking, my body was going through withdrawals, and I needed to get downtown. I don't know how I was going to get money. I had an idea. I don't know how I was going to get on a train. I had an idea. And this was my New Year's Eve, and troubles were of my own making. What's really interesting is where I was. I know I was on 65th Street and about 14th, 17th Avenue. My family was about five blocks away, all huddled together for the holidays, my entire family. They were all there. I had to walk five blocks and say, please help me. They would have rolled out the red carpet for the prodigal son. But my illness in my mind had other plans for me, and that would drive me further into hell. And New Year's Eve, a simple story like that, I think of, especially when I see new people, or especially when the holidays come around. So, you know, I'm here tonight um, clean-shaven, showered, clean clothes. I'm self-supporting for my own contributions. I remember everything I did today and last night, and... Um, I'm here to talk for Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, how did that happen? I haven't thought about drinking in a number of years, a long time. In fact, when I talk about drinking, it's usually to either when I'm working or to a new drunk. So I can do what Bill did with Dr. Bob and tell him his story so he can say, yeah, that's me, I drank like that, or what they did with Bill Dotson. Other than that, drinking doesn't occupy any part of my mind anymore. It doesn't not take up any more space in my head nor does any non-conference approved dry goods either. That stuff is dead. As long as I keep in fit spiritual condition, what the 10-step talks about. I don't have to worry about drinking because God took that from me, and all I have to do is keep my spiritual muscles. A lot of us in here know about going to the gym. I can look around. A lot of you guys spend a lot of time in the gym. And a lot of you guys are all tanned up and freshly dipped, as we like to say. Right? right? Making sure the shirts are really, really tight. So Mary sees I've been working out, right? And you girls are just as guilty, you know what I'm saying? Right, we spend all that time looking good, really good. Extra rep in the gym, extra set in the gym, another lap around the track, get a little tan, get the hair right. Well, the hair's always good to get right, but go into a meeting, right? right? And then we ask, how much time do you spend with God today? How much time on your knees praying to God and surrendering? How much spiritual homework do we do today? Right? How much scripture we read? How much big book we read? How many spiritual books am I into? How many books am I working with? Do I have a sponsor? How, how, how regular am I with my sponsor? Am I consistent, accountable, and responsible? How's the car? C-A-R. Consistency, accountability, responsibility. How am I doing? Spend two hours in the gym, lap around the track, three hours at the beach, and so on. I spent about five minutes with God. I have a problem, don't I? Because if I'm not continuing, and I speak for myself, surrendering to God and begging for mercy and showing me what to do because I'm unworthy of any of this stuff, guess who's right behind me is my illness. Now, I don't feel it breathing down my neck anymore. Thank God for that, and that's just a God thing. But trust me, if I start to go sideways, I will start to hear the pulse of my illness breathing down my back. And usually what happens to folks like us is if we don't pick up a drink on the front end, our behavior will resemble someone who looks like they need a drink. We act like drunks without a drink in us. We act like dope fiends without using. 
So I have a lot of resistance to my day to what is. Instead of meeting resistance with no resistance, I'm going to struggle. I'm going to fight. My book says we don't struggle. Why am I struggling? It's just my selfishness showing its head again. My resistance to what is. I become very critical and start to character assassinate other people. My book says love and tolerance of others is our code. Not their behavior, because some behavior is inappropriate. They need to be confronted, right? But love and tolerance of other people is our code. Unconditional love for other people. Suddenly I start to judge and size up and critique and gossip. How's my spiritual condition then? Because you know how we are. I tell, tell you how I am. You gossip about me. I want to go to war, right? How dare they say it about me? But I've been just talking about everyone for the last half hour. It's okay for me to do because I'm me. And we get this, this narrow-minded way of looking at life. And what has happened is I've become God. And how can I meet God if I am God? How can I experience God if I am God? As I clean up the wreckage of my past in step nine, things start to happen. It says I enter the world of the spirit. And I go from a place of what I know, which is very tangible and concrete, to a place of that's unknown. I never stepped into the world of the spirit before. I can talk about, you know, having the spiritual experiences, and I think I know God, but we don't know until we get there. And then when we start to experience it, the words can't even convey that message, can't even convey the experience, but we can experience it. What it's like entering the world of the Spirit, it's only going to happen as I clean up the wreckage of my past, and I can't <clears throat> enter the world of the Spirit with a cognitive mind. I can't think my way into the world of the Spirit. I can't size it up. I can't figure it out. It can only be entered with an awakened spirit, and that comes through the work in one through nine, and nothing less than that. I need to be fertile to go into the world of the spirit. I can't just show up into AA and say, I've had a spiritual awakening. I'm good. I'm delusional. And the God I'm praying to is me. But it's the work I got to do one through nine that was not easy. You scrape your knees, you get calluses and vision for you. It's just patience, willingness, and labor is needed to duplicate what the early members did. Labor is work. I'm going to go chop wood and carry water. But at the end of the day, I see what comes to fruition. I stand in the sunlight of the Spirit. I stand before my Creator. I start to know that I'm known by my Creator. Ain't that great? It's not some image. It's not some thing. It's not some white guy with blue eyes and a beard. It's not some black guy. It's not some Hispanic guy. It just is. It's all of those things. God is all of those things. I was in Mexico one time for a meeting, <clears throat> and they had a picture of Bill and Bob with a very darker complexion. And I walked into a church. I was in Puerto Rico one time. I went into a church. I love visiting churches. And the picture of the carpenter was very, very dark. That was probably more accurate because he was from the Middle East. My point is wherever we go, we reflect our culture. So what? God is all things to all people. And we all have our own little conceptions of God. The question is, do I have a God? Who cares if God is blonde hair, blue eyes, or black, Hispanic, Mexican? Who cares? It's God. I was watching something on TV one time, one of these uh, National Geographic things, and they were trying to recreate the face of, of Jesus. And they, they made him look like a Neanderthal. And I got really annoyed at this. And then I realized, even if he was, who cares? We try to, I remember there was a time where I was trying to conceptualize God. 
What is God? I thought that was being a good AA member, trying to really get a good conception of God for me. And I was getting frustrated and restless and irritable about it. And I was starting to create my own God. And I realized my book says, I can't do that. Because as soon as I start to conceptualize God, my God becomes very small, gets, it gets put in a box, and really it's me. So who cares? What I've held on to, it's all love and no opposite and all forgiveness. One of mercy, all giving, one of abundance. All the things he gave me when I got here in 1959 when I was born. And then somehow I start to accumulate things that block me further and further and further away from God. The interesting thing, guys, is when we enter the world of the Spirit, it starts in three, but when we enter the world of the Spirit, at this point, if we've done the work, my experience has been this, we're all in with God. We are all in. Both feet in. And we're working with people. We're cleaning up the wreckage of our past. What's ever left? We're growing and understanding and affecting this. We're starting to get into inspirational books. We're doing it. We're doing the deal. But there's another power or another part of us, the thinking mind, that knows this and is going to fight a little bit harder and maybe make this a little bit more difficult. It don't want to let go. See, it's easy just to act out. It's easy to be drunk and stupid. It's easy to be untreated because who cares? That's a very wide gate. There's no conditions on that. Just do what you want. Blow up. Who cares? And if you're like me, you wind up in the street all alone sleeping behind a dumpster. Who cares? But somehow this path gets very narrow and things start to pull. And the things I could have got away with when I was one year sober, there is no way I can get away with them for a minute now, 25 years later. This path with God, we talk about it's free and easy, and yes, it is, but there are conditions. It is a narrow road. God is all love, absolutely, but there are certain things I need to do to experience that. It doesn't come by just me walking into an AA meeting and getting a chip and sitting down and going home. If I keep doing that, I'll have a chip in a few weeks, and then I'll have a habit. <clears throat> or I'll be at a bar sucking down another pint of liquor. Right? So am I all in when it comes to this deal? And again, I, as I clean up the wreckage of my past, I remember things are very tangible. I could understand a lot of things they were telling me, but then something else happened. I got to a place that I couldn't describe. Like, I would make financial amends, and suddenly personal relationships got better. I would clean up personal relationship stuff, and somehow uh, finances got better. My health would get better. Stress would leave. So I make amends here, and this part of my life cleans up. I make amends here, and that part of my life cleans up. You can't explain it. There's no dots to connect that. It just is. It's God, and I can't figure out God. But when I look at where I started, where my journey had me, it was vastly different. There was a huge contrast in where I started to where I was. This is the first time through the work. And I think I shared a few weeks ago, I made about uh, <clears throat> 200 direct amends on the first time out and a handful, well, a lot more than a handful of what I call indirect amends. People I couldn't go to because I would harm if I went to them. I would implicate other people. And God moved me through all of that. It was kind of almost a flying blind period, even though I was sponsored. I had really good sponsorship, but I never made amends on my own. And I was given instructions as to what to say and how to do it and to pray before I go and suit up and show up to make amends. But it still was new. I didn't go there yet. And little by slowly, God kept feeding me, kept feeding me, kept feeding me, and I became more uh, enhanced with God, more full of God rather than full of me. 
We go to an ocean with a thimble. You're coming home with a thimble full of water. And God's given us the whole deal. And we will settle. A lot of our meetings will settle on just, just don't drink and go to meetings. Put the plug in the jug. Meeting makers make it. Doesn't say that in my big book. Because right. then it would say, one page, meeting makers make it. Pete, now go home. All right. So it's a narrow path. So June 1988, God separates me from alcohol. I have no idea what I'm in for at this point. I just know I wanted to stay sober. There was a gentleman here tonight, got a coin, says he has no higher power, I believe. That's fine. That can be a great thing. Because he's not blinded or tainted or tarnished with old belief systems. The question I would ask that guy, are you willing to believe in something greater than you? He says, yes, he's on his way. In fact, he'll probably shoot past a lot of us here tonight. Don't need a conception of God, but I need to be willing to have a God, and it can't be me. And at the beginning, we can use G-O-D, group of drunks for good early direction at the beginning. That's what I did. I felt power in these numbers. I felt safe in the numbers. Sit next to the guys with 30 and 40 years. I said, let me sit right between those two. It'll rub off. It'll be okay. Right? And then guys like this would call me, hey, Pete, sit with us. They know my name. I'm May. This is great. But that's what I needed to do. And they would give me some instructions on what to do tonight, not to pick up a drink. Make sure I pray. Make sure I read a big book. Then I got a sponsor. And I was still relying on a group of drunks. But then there was a shift in consciousness, a shift. And I can't plan that day. We can't plan that day. Just know it's going to happen. And one day we wake up and we go pray. And suddenly God is very personal. It's my God. And we know it. We can feel it. We can hear it. And we can hear it in other people. This is the beginning of the awakening. And the old self, the old self is beginning to die. Thank God. The person who walked into AA, me, in 1988, had to die. I had experienced the death of self before the physical death. And nothing less than that. Because as long as self is still around, I have less God. If self is gone, I have more God. And my trust and reliance is upon this power. This is what we're talking about in step 10. It isn't about going to a meeting and hanging out. It's about coming back to serve, not looking to be served. My belly's full. Now I need to share my food with others. And I'll go hungry many times, but I still go home full. How's that happen? It's called operating in the world of the spirit, moved by God rather than driven by the addiction, driven by the illness, driven by self-will. I'm moved by this power, living along the lines of God consciousness. And we'll get frustrated, and we'll get upset, and we'll cry, and we'll weep, and we'll get joyful. But through all of that, it's a God thing. Can I see the God in the people who hurt me? Can I forgive them when they don't, because I can say they don't know what they're doing? It's easy to be nice to you if you say, Pete, great talk. Can I have your number? Can you sponsor me? I think you're great. Sure, he's a good bud now because he just gave me approval. What about the person comes up to me and says, I hate your talk. I don't like you. Don't come back again. It's happened to me. <clears throat> I, was in, uh, I was giving a talk one time in New Jersey, and a woman waited online. It was about 200 people, and she was way in the back, and a couple of guys gave me the heads up. I didn't know what they meant. She came up to me. She says, I want to thank you for showing up to, for the commitment. I says, you're welcome. She says, you're nothing but a used car salesman, and walked away. Oops. <clears throat> was it something I said? <laughs> it's usually how most of my dates ended. <laughs> 
I said, thank you for sharing. <laughs> Which really got her annoyed. And um, so what do I do when I get home? Because she's, you know, kind of up, up in the head. We all get that, right? She didn't give me approval. How come? I worked really hard. How come? Something I said, something I did. I shouldn't have talked too much about the book book. I should have talked more about the big book. Guess what I did? I wrote inventory. And I prayed for her. And my prayer was, Father, fill my heart with a spirit of forgiveness towards this woman. And went about my evening. And it was done. And I've seen her at meetings after that. And I says, how are you? And she said, hello back. And that was it. We're probably never going to go for dinner after a meeting again. <laughs> but I don't have a thorn in my side anymore. And I hope I'm not a thorn to her. Forgive them for they know not what they do. If I really want to enter the world of the Spirit, if I really want to live in the world of the Spirit, it doesn't mean I enter and hang out. It means I need to do work and grow in understanding and effectiveness. How am I doing practicing these principles in all my affairs when everyone around me is not? How am I doing when people don't care I'm in AA, when people don't care how long I'm sober, people don't care about me, period, but I have to be in that company, perhaps I work with them. How am I doing then? It's easy to be here when we applaud for everyone. How about when we're out there? That's where I really get rubber hits the road. How am I practicing principles then? How am I doing when I'm around a newcomer and she looks really pretty, guys? Hmm? How am I doing then? How am I doing in the parking lot and I know she's brand new and no one's around? Am I bringing over to Rachel or Marion? Or am I doing something else? And then get up to the podium and say, I found God, I believe in the big book. <laughs> what I have is hypocrisy in my soul, and I'm sicker than a newcomer. What I have is duality in my life. I'm claiming God, but I'm, I'm, I'm clutching something else. Hmm? World of the Spirit, all in or not. There's some interesting things it says in here. I can rest on my laurels, and I'm headed for trouble if I do. My accomplishments of yesterday. Did great things last week, great things six months ago. Did great things yesterday. How am I doing today? How current am I? Am I resting on my laurels? My book says I'm headed for trouble if I do. I need to be growing and understanding and effectiveness, my book tells me. I'm either growing or I'm going. How am I doing? Right? Do I really practice love and tolerance for, of others? There's a great, there's a great uh, little prayer that says, uh, carry the vision of all my activities. God's will into all my activities. Can I carry the vision of God's will into all my activities? Or is it, when it only when it's convenient? Right? So I get up off the mat, and I begin my day, and I head into work. Rubber hits the road. Some people don't want to be at work. Some of the clients don't want to be in treatment. Some of them really want to be in treatment. Some of the parents want to pull them out. Some of the parents want to keep them there forever. I get 45,000 personalities, and I'm talking to one person. <laughs> How do I do then? Right? Meeting here, meeting here, group here, group there, meeting here, personality here, problem here. How am I doing? Chopping wood and carrying water. We all have our stuff that we, that we do during the day. So what I do with step 10, it's my kind of walking around my gut check step. And if I feel resentful, if I feel fear, if I feel something that's, that's causing me disease and discomfort, what I do first move is God. 
Okay, God, here's what's going on. I need to acquire a spirit of forgiveness. I have some resentment going on. I have some fear going on. I'll discuss it with someone, or I'll write inventory, and then discuss it with someone, and then I see who I can be helpful to, and if amends need to be made, I will make it right away because I don't have the luxury of hanging around with a resentment or a fear because I know how my alcoholism works on me. It loves that little opening. My commitment to God is let me carry the vision of your will into all my activities. He really thinks I mean it. I have a commitment to my God. I have a commitment to you. I have a commitment to my life. I need to show up for my recovery. I need to show up for my life. Which means the things that happen during the day aren't always going to be pleasant. And what about the things that are really great that happen to me? Those, those wonderful things that happen out of nowhere. An old friend shows up. Maybe some money comes in. Maybe you get a promotion. Maybe a client calls after you and says, hey, I'm sober one year. Thank you for everything. You get those things. What do I do with those God shots? Give the credit back to God is what I do. And I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I've been made real clear of my unworthiness by the good things that have happened to me, not so much by the bad things that have happened to me. Very recently, what's been going on in my life, as recent as this Sunday, on my way home from uh, from my service, um, I still can't believe what God is doing for me in my life. Trust me, I'm not a rich man. I'm not walking around with a lot of money. I have a nice car. I don't have a Maserati. I have a nice apartment. I don't have this compound. It's a pretty humble life. But what God has done for me, and Sunday over lunch I was talking about it, and when I got home from lunch we were talking about it, is indeed the miraculous. I have no right doing what I get to do each day in my life. From speaking like this around the globe about 30 weekends a year to being of service in my own church to sponsoring men to doing what I absolutely love as frustrating as it can be at times what I would do for free for a living. There's no greater challenge and no greater joy in doing what I do for a living and I get paid for that. I would do it for, I would volunteer to do that work. That makes absolutely no sense because 25 years ago I was sleeping behind a dumpster. And I didn't care about anyone. And I despise God. The spiritual life makes absolutely no sense when you try to think about it. Sometimes people are in trouble and will we'll always say, hey, I'll pray for you. I'll keep you in my thoughts. Um, <clears throat> I don't keep anyone in my thoughts because if someone says, I'll keep you in my thoughts, that's a bad place. Don't keep me in your thoughts. I don't, <laughs> don't do that. But if I tell someone, hey, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you. It's not just a kind of wave, get you away from me. I will pray for you. That doesn't make me special. It's just my commitment to God and to you and to my recovery, entering the world of the Spirit. I'm quick to see where religious people are right, and I make use of what they offer. That is one of the things that's happened to me as of recent as maybe less than a year ago, being quick to see where religious people are right and making use of what they offer. It helped me on 9-11. It helped me out of 9-11. And then I kind of forgot about that. And it's doing it all over again. Only this time I'm locked in to what they're offering. Of all fates, starting with my own. 
inspirational books. What kind of books am I working? I work with lots of books. I've been working with lots of books for a long time now. Not self-help books, just books to kind of produce an experience, enhance the spiritual path that I'm on, because we want to enhance all of this and not stay stagnant. One of the words that have gotten really hurt, the 10th step in AA, is this word maintenance in step 10, because that's gotten so butchered. A lot of folks think maintenance means just stay where you are, don't do anything else. Just stay right there. You don't need anything else. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about taking care of, getting my soul food every day, nurturing the spirit. If you have a new car, you maintain it. You keep it nice. You replace things when they get old. We wash it. What am I doing about my soul food? Relying on food from a month ago? Or am I getting my nutrition for the soul every day? Am I clear so I can hear? Entering the world of the spirit, I've gotten new eyes to see, quite frankly. The veil has been dropped. The blinders have been pulled off. I can hear differently. We get to see with God's eyes. We get to hear with God's ears. And we get to speak the words of God. Now, for newcomer, that sounds a little bit out there, but it is the truth. Speak to someone who's been around here a while who's on this path. Half of the things that come out of our mouth are not even planned. They're all God-inspired. That intuitiveness they talk about, that vital sixth sense they talk about, that is something beyond the five, that little nudging that says, say this or be still, go here or be still. Can't explain where it comes from. We just go out of it and something happens. A lot of us get it. You get a thought about calling someone, you call them up, and it's a perfect timing. You say, wow, something told me to call you. Who told you to call them? It's God. As simple as walking through Publix and you're on a diet and you see the, the, the ice cream or the vegetables and something says, don't get ice cream, we're trying to take care of ourselves. Who told you that? Not me. God's saying, hey, we got a commitment to our health, to the body I gave you. It's all God. Can I be grateful for a banquet? Absolutely. Can I be grateful for applause and camaraderie? Absolutely. Can I be grateful when there is no banquet and there is no applause and there's no money in my pocket and I'm unemployed? Can I be grateful then? Can I be grateful in the journey of chopping wood and carrying water when I'm sweating and it doesn't feel good and I'm wondering when is this thing going to come to fruition? Can I be grateful then when I'm in the trenches, when I'm cleaning up a drunk and they don't smell too good? Because if I'm walking with God, I'm grateful just for another breath. And I'm above ground sucking air and I'm part of AA. Enter the world of the Spirit. Experientially, can we talk about what it's like living in the world of the Spirit? What's that look like? What's that feel like? What's that sound like? Entering the world of the Spirit. Right. Early in the book, it says, our roots grasp new soil. In step 10, we're in. Am I a direct reflection of this power called God I've been praying to all this time? So I write inventory during the day when I have an opportunity. I'll, I'll scribble some inventory on paper. I'll make some prayer. Sometime during the day, at some point, different times, different days, I will get a God break. And so I'm on a three-a-day prayer meditation for the longest time. I, on awakening, I do this. And some point during the day, I'll do a spot check inventory. What's disturbing me? I'll put it on paper. I'll make some prayer. If a phone call needs to be made, I will. But I will get my prayer meditation. I work with these beads, these religious beads. It takes me 10 minutes. And I get scented again. I get my compass back, and out I go. And I go with God. It's kind of like taking God's hand and going. Marion has a great expression, put your hand in God's hand and go. That's what we're doing. Because in God's eyes, I'm still a child. 
regardless of my age, of what I've done. And I should show up to God like a child. I should show up to God with that kind of awe, with that kind of gleam in my eye when I'm speaking to God or when I'm working with other people just for my life. Entering the world of the Spirit. The thoughts I have, are they manifesting in my life? And if they are, what's it look like? Because some of the thoughts we have, we don't want them going anywhere. God forbid someone should find out. But what sort of inspiration do I have going on, and is it manifesting out there? Is it a reflection of my life, my thoughts? For me, step 10 and step 11 is an inventory. There are folks who say step 10 is not an inventory, and that's fine. But an inventory was shown to me, it's a written list. Inventory means written list. Step four was an inventory, we wrote. Why does it change in step 10? I don't know, I don't care. I know what I do, and so I write. During the day, anything needs to be addressed on paper, I'll do it. Because for me, I will not walk around with a resentment till 10 o'clock tonight if I have one at 9 in the morning and get to inventory then and then work on the resentment with prayer and make a phone call. I don't have that kind of luxury. I don't have the luxury of walking around fear-based and insecure for six or seven or eight hours. So I will address it during the day. If I'm angry at 9 o'clock in the morning, I'll, when I can, make a prayer, inventory, discuss it with someone. The whole process is... is and out, and I'm centered again. Step 10 talks about discussing it with someone immediately. I have an immediately group. I give them spiritual consent. They know what I'm calling. I say, I got it immediately. They say, go. I'm angry with Joe because he did this. I'm fearful about that because this is what's going on. They hear it. I discuss it. I get scented, and I go about my day. Chop wood, carry water. Drop the rock. Right? Well, I do the same thing at night with my 11-step inventory. I'll review anything I missed on a day. And some folks will, uh, will say, well, I had a great day, no resentments, no fears. I didn't, ang I didn't get anyone angry. I was not selfish. I was not dishonest. In fact, I was a monk today. <laughs> do I have to write inventory? I say, no. What you need to do is everything you did today, duplicate for the rest of your life. You're good. <laughs> then they hang up the phone on me. Right. So I take a look at anything that was going on that I missed with my 11-step review and the thinking. Because I could be sitting in a chair around 10 people, 20 people, 100 people, and you have no idea of what's going on in my head. Because you took my seat. <laughs> right? Right? Or sitting in a restaurant, really nice restaurant, and the waitress is taking a long time, and I'm just, uh, hi, you want to order? And I'm talking to, you know, whoever you're with, and you're really pleasant because there's all AA people, so you're a guru now because you're in a diner in an AA, you know, crew, and you got to show nothing's bothering you, and you're spiritual, you're calm, and everything's good, right? Right? But on the, in, in here, if I ever get my hand on a waiter, I'll kill him. Right? That's the stuff I write about. It's easy to write about a tangible resentment. I'm angry with someone because they did this. But what about the stuff going on there? What about the fears going on? I need a job. I need a job. Oh, my God. 
I need to write about that. Then you finally get a job offer. Oh, my God, I got a job offer. Now what? I got the job. Oh, my God, it never ends. <laughs> so I write about this stuff. And it takes me a couple of minutes to write four-column inventory. And on Wednesdays, I call up my sponsor at 8 o'clock, and we discuss my week. I read in my inventory. Sometimes we get through one. Sometimes we get through a bunch. Sometimes we'll talk about other things. But usually you say, you got an inventory to go over. I say, here it is. I don't say, forgot it. It's in my car. I left it at work. I show up to the phone with my big book, my notepad, my pen. I'm a student. He's the teacher. What do you got? I've been doing that for a long time. When things were great and when things were not so great. Patience, willingness, and labor. What I've come to experience is I realize how angry I was by how much joy I've gotten to experience. I realize how depressed and sad I was by how much joy I've gotten to experience. I realize how greedy I could have been when I start to experience giving away things I have. I realize what an egomaniac I was when God gave me a force feeding of humility. That's what my inventory reveals over and over and over again. And my perceptions are wrong. There's another gentleman who calls this the disease of perceptions. My perceptions of a situation cause me pain and suffering. Rarely the reality of what's going on. It's how I interpret it, how I hear it, how I see it. And if I'm untreated, I'm seeing it through fear. I'm hearing it through fear. And I'm going to behave and act out through fear. I'm missing everything. And I'm have to go back and make amends and fix things that I've caused out of my effort to live life on self-will. And God forbid I should surrender to a higher power and say, I don't know what to do. You guide me. And the 11th step it even talks about pause. My sponsor had us work with the word pause for months. Work with the word pause. Pause. Before I speak, pause. Before I act, pause. Turn in in order to go out. Turn into God in order to go out. Watch, aware, observe. How am I doing? Where's my mind at? What's my speech like? Am I speaking when I should be still? Now, I've seen some folks, and I was one of them early on, who fell in love with the mechanics. Fell in love with the mechanics. Write more inventory, read more books, and that becomes a form of worship rather than the power I'm supposed to be worshiping. And that stuff will take me away from God because what I'm doing is I'm not worshiping God. I'm worshiping me and the work I get to do, and I claim to be a humble man. That's the real dangerous piece. I'm humble. Hey, I'm humble. I'm a humble guy. <laughs> when, in fact, I'm so far from humility at that point. So we can get into worshiping mechanics. I did. I remember going through the steps, 1, 2, 9, 10, 11, and 12, three times in one year, and I called my sponsor. I want to do it again. He said, stop. Because if everything that take me to God can be the things that move me away from God. I always like to share this story. There's this woman, her name is uh, Gangaji, and she goes to her teacher, and she says, uh, he's got all this stuff going on. She says, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? He says, do nothing. She says, I know that, but what do I have to do? <laughs> and he was trying to tell her, be still. Just have an experience with this power. Just be still. Sit on a park bench and Enjoy. Make lunch and enjoy. Take care of the children and enjoy. I don't have to be writing and reading all the time. It's a form of me worshiping me again and looking for drama because we love drama. 
I know lots of folks in his big book who got a lot of drama going on because they're always writing inventory. They're looking for something, got to find drama. And if they don't have something going on, they feel like they're not well. They're very unwell. Part of the experience with God is things tend to get better. My amends list gets very short. My drama seems to disappear. In fact, most of the drama in my life is dumped in my laps, to be quite frank. You could ask anyone who's close to me, how much drama do I show up to them with in a workday? I don't. Work stuff, stuff dropped in my lap. Personal stuff dropped in my lap. People calling me with drama. I don't have drama. And that's one of the reasons why I love being alone. I can enjoy my own company for the first time in many, many years because I'm not bringing drama to me. We love the drama. You know why? I don't have to focus on me. I can talk about somebody else. I don't have to take a look at who started this me. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's their fault. Entering the world of spirit, very narrow gate I'm going to walk through. The first time I prayed, I remember uh, thinking that God was going to open up the skies and scoop me up and drop me in a ditch based on what I had done and how many times I had cursed God and all the horrific things I did. And I didn't realize, looking back on it, here I am in treatment, here I am in AA, and things are going okay. Somebody's looking out for me. I remember the first time I prayed, it was in a, a, a formal prayer, it was in a sober house. I hit my knees. It was a Sunday night. I'll never forget it. I hit my knees, and I was thanking God for keeping me clean and sober for the day with one eye open because I knew something bad was going to happen. How dare I get to pray? in this way. And I had three roommates, and they were all on their knees praying. And so I prayed. I woke up the next morning. I didn't pick up a drink overnight. And that morning, I prayed again. I didn't know what I was doing. God, please keep me clean and sober for today. Read a little big book. I didn't have no idea what I was doing. But my willingness was manifested in my actions. I was doing it. In doing, we succeed. In discipline, there's freedom. So I was doing it. And that started to evolve a little bit. And as I went through the steps, my relationship with God started to change. I started to have one. And I was introduced to meditation, which is something we don't talk a whole lot about in AA, in some circles. We hear prayers, talking, meditations, listening. There's a whole thing to meditation. In fact, some folks will say meditation is about escaping reality when in reality we're experiencing the only reality there is. Oneness with God, total silence and stillness, no mind, and worshiping my God who allows me to go out into the noise because it's the noise that's interrupting everything. So I got to learn how to meditate, and it was food for my soul. I never touched that kind of stillness before. When we first start to meditate, however, it can be very noisy. We realize when we first meditate how much noise we actually got going on in the head when you try to force some silence. You sit down to meditate with tall posture and breath, and you realize, wow, I got a lot of stuff going on. In fact, I'll meditate later. Let me get to the stuff first. <laughs> right? What does George Collins say? More stuff. I got stuff. Right? Yeah, so you sit to meditate, and the fire truck's going by, the dog is barking, laundry kids, this, that. Oh, I'll just meditate later. And then we don't meditate. 
But if we can just be with that and meet that resistance with no resistance, okay, fire truck, okay, come back to breath. Okay, dog barking, okay, dog's barking, okay, I'm not dead, I hear it, back to breath. Got things to do today, yep, got a lot of things to do today. Soon as I become aware I've drifted, I'm no longer drifting, I'm back. Breathing in one, breathing out two. Breathing in one, breathing out two, posture and breath. Something happens along the way where suddenly we don't hear any of that stuff. I don't need to create a vision in meditation. I need to create a walk in meditation. I just give attention to this God and wait. And sometimes I'll take a question into meditation and it isn't answered right away. And sometimes it is, but I don't hear it because I think the answer should be this. I'm waiting for this. And God say, no, go there. And you bottom out there and say, okay, I got it. Answers are given to us in meditation. Clarity is given to us in meditation. Clarity enough where I can hear my answers when other people speak to me. And that person can have one day back. Let me not judge that. So I'm very grateful for a lot of what 11 Step does, and hopefully next week we get to talk a little bit more about this, about some personal experience and a little bit more mechanics on how I'm convinced that I'm known by my creator. It's a great thing when you can walk around saying, I know I'm known by my creator. I know God knows me, knows every hair in my head, knows exactly what I'm thinking before I got it, knows about my fears, knows about my concerns, knows what excites me, knows what gives me joy, knows how much I love him and this. And when I'm fearful, God's got my back because there is no gravity in God's world. God's got my back. There is no leap of faith because there's no such thing as that because God's there, God's in the middle, and God's on the end. God's walking me across. It's my mind that creates all, all leap of faith. My mind creates the fear when I walk with God. There is none of that stuff. Talk about that in step 11 rather than just mechanics, experientially what step 11 look like. And I really get to experience, like I said recently, uh, in my own personal life is what, what I've been asked to do um, in my little church community. It's blown up for me. I have more ease and comfort now on most days than I've ever experienced in all the years I've been sober. I know my God loves me. It's pretty neat to love your God and not apologize for it and just walk with it. I'm not proud, but just quiet. And how many folks have asked me about their struggles with God and I get to shout from the rooftops about my joys with God. Ain't that great? This makes no sense. But I'm here, sober, hopefully a little dignity and integrity and carry an AA message right, to a place I adore called Alcoholics Anonymous. That's all I got, peace.